0: We're going to do a series of of uh, entries in this in, in our share on Crime and Punishment series because I was uh, considering various chuvas and uh, a few of them were too interesting and too important to skip and uh, or, or, or to combine into one. So we'll do uh, we'll do at <coughs> two or three on the topic of Crime and Punishment, specifically on the this is a share on of specifically on the question of how crime and punishment was, was handled, was approached by postkim in the post, uh, post-biblical, post-Mishnaic uh, period where Jews didn't have sovereignty, how they approached the question of aiding and abetting the authorities, of how, how important is it to punish, uh, punish criminals. We're not talking about uh, sinners, people who violate the Torah. We're talking about murderers, typically, people who commit the, the ultimate crime against society, against humanity, people who kill other people, what was the approach to punishment by, by, by poskim throughout the generations. Now, the, there are going to be big differences between whether the, the criminal is a Jew or a non-Jew, and we'll point that out as we go. Tonight, we're going to study a tshuva involving murder, involving a non-Jewish murderer, a non-Jewish murderer who had murdered a Jew, in the 17th century. The tshuva is, uh, is a very important tshuva, widely quoted. The tshuva is by, is by Rabbi Menachem Mendel Krochmal of Nikolsburg. He was the author of the first sefer called Shaila Tshuva Tzemach Tzedek. The second Tzemach Tzedek, perhaps the more famous one, is by the third Rebbe of Lubavitch, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the early one, not not the, not not the recent one, as we've discussed previously, Tzemach Tzedek was a uh, an irresistible name for svarim written by people named Menachem Mendel because Tzemach Tzedek is gematria of Menachem Mendel. You can see it easily enough. Tzemach and Menachem is basically the same letters, with a tzadif instead of the Mem and the Nun, and Tzedek is. Uh, Tzedek, is the of Mendel, that works out also. So, in halacha, the the, the earlier, more venerable Tzemach Tzedek is R- is R- Mendel of Nicholsburg, and the later Tzemach perhaps better known, certainly among Chabad Hasidim, is the, is the one of the, the third Rebbe of Chabad. So, the tshuva we're going to do tonight is by the early Tzemach This is a this, this is a 17th century tshuva, as I said. The Tzemach was a great was a great Ghosn in... was, was a... Was, the Samach the, the I was a, was a great goan in Poland. He was a... Uh, he was born around 1600. He died born in 1600, died in 1661. He was a very prominent Polish gone. His chuvas are widely quoted by the later acronym. We've discussed a couple of his chuvas in the past. So the one we're doing tonight concerns, as I said, a non-Jewish murderer who had murdered a Jew, how they knew this, how they knew who it was, then, then we're not getting into questions of evidence tonight. Obviously, when you're discussing questions of murder, evidence and investigation are uh, are important topics, but that, 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 that's not part of our discussion tonight. We're uh, stipulating that we know who the murderer is. So the Tanaqtetik begins his question as follows, Echad Shenerak Bedarach. Somebody, a Jewish somebody, as will be clear from the tshuva, was killed on the road while traveling. We know via dua mihu We know who killed him. As we're going to see as we go, again, as we see it, it's clear that it was a non-Jewish, a non-Jew who murdered him. And we can avenge the murder. We can do it. We can do it via the court system, via the justice system. However, it takes time and money. In order to get this done, it ha- there's going to have to be a relative or somebody else, but uh, somebody a- advocating for justice for the victim. One of the relatives of the murder victim will have to petition the court for justice, and he may not want to. He may say, "Not interested. It's expensive. It's it's uh, he, not going to bring him back. He's gone. The you know the the why bother? Why do, why do I need this headache for? I'm sorry, my relative is dead, but." Uh, why should I uh, get involved? So the question was, as put to the was can we compel him, can Basin compel him, can the community compel him to pursue the matter, literally and figuratively, to pursue the murderer and bring him to justice? Can we, can we force him to spend money on this, besides effort and time? Money? How much money does he have to spend? And who's called a relative? Is it only an immediate relative, a son, a brother? What about a nephew, a cousin, a third cousin? So uh, this is how the question was put to the Tzadok. It was a question of compulsion, that there seems to have been some kind of idea that it's the relative's duty to seek justice and vengeance for for their murdered relative. And the question was, do they have to? Can they be forced to? At what cost? That was how the question was put to to Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Nicholsburg. His answer is in the affirmative that yes, they can be compelled. There is a, in other words, there is a religious halachic obligation upon the relatives of the murdered man to seek justice and vengeance for him, and Baston can actually force them to do that. Why? Where does this come from? How do we construct a halachic argument to compel relatives of the, of, the, of the murder victim to seek justice for him. So he brings the Gemara. The Gemara is discussing, the, the, Gemara is discussing the, the idea of Goel Hadam, the blood avenger in the Torah. There are several places in the Torah where the Torah talks about a Goel Hadam, a relative of a murdered man who has the right to kill the, the murderer. The Torah establishes the cities of refuge, the air Miklot, these were sanctuary cities, the original sanctuary cities, where the where the murderer can flee to escape the, the wrath of the goel hadam. Now, there is a major area of confusion which which runs through our topic tonight, it's, which is that it's not always clear when the Torah talks about goel hadam, when the later when the Talmud, when the later post can talk about goel hadam. It's not always clear whether they're talking about goel hadam. With, re- with respect to a murderer who killed deliberately, first-degree intentional murder, or whether they're talking about Ratzat some kind of manslaughter. The whole institution of the Eremiklod, it's clear from the Torah, is talking about a, a manslaughter, someone who killed Bashogig. When the Torah talks about Goel Hadam, it's not always so clear whether it's talking about Goel Hadam in the case of mazid or Shogig. Real mazid, absolute, 100% mazid you normally wouldn't need a Haddam because Basin would kill the murderer. If all the conditions are met for capital murder, Basin executes the murderer itself. You don't need the Haddam to take matters into his own hands. However, in the real world, it's not really that simple because, as we know from the Gemaras in Sanhedrin and Marcus, there are actually all kinds of conditions that have to be met, very, very rigid and stringent conditions that have to be met for Bastin to actually impose capital punishment. And there are many cases that would be more or less mazid, but Sanhedrin is still still not able to act. So in those cases, you, you have a very practical application for goel hadam to operate in, uh, in, to operate when basin's not going to act. So that's one concept of Gol hadam mazid. The other aspect of goel the one that perhaps gets more attention in the psukim and the Torah and the Gemara, is goel hadam Beshogi, when the circum talk about. If the murderer ever leaves the Er-Miklat, the galadam can kill him, and then he's off the hook. All that discussion is talking about Bashogig. bashogic ritzach Mazid does not get, to go to, does not get the, the protection of the city of refuge in the first place. All those discussions of Er-Miklat and leaving it and, and, and staying inside it until the Kain Godel dies, all of that is about ritzach Bashogig. But there's also some discussion of galadam, as I said earlier, in the case of Ritzach-Bamazid our tshuva, we're dealing with the concept of Gol HaDam in the case of Mezi. Now, there is actually a in the Gemara, whether Gol HaDam is a mitzvah or a rishus, whether Gol HaDam has permission to kill the Rotech, or actually has a mitzvah to kill the Rotech. The Gemara brings a machlokus between Rabbi Yosei Aglili and Rabbi Akiva, whether Gol HaDam is mitzvah or rishus. The Most posts can say that that whole debate is about a Gol Hadam in a case of Shogig. In a case of Shogig, he deserves to be uh, the the murderer he did in Avera. He he was careless, negligent, but he he deserves the protection of the Erem Eklat. The Torah understands that the Gol Hadam may may be so incensed, he may be so aroused and so provoked, he may want to kill him. It's a rishush, it's not a mitzvah, but he may want to do it. So the Torah gave the protection of the er Miklot. If he goes out, the, the gal hadam can kill him. That's what we have this Machlokas about uh, Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Yosei But according to most poskim, it seems that if a kills Bamazid, then it is actually a mitzvah for the gal hadam to kill him. Rambam paskins that way. Rambam says if someone kills Bamazid, mitzvah biad gal hadam. That's what the pasuk means when it says "Gol Hadam Hu Yomiset Sarotzeh," and even though there's machlokas tanoim the machlokis is Bishogig, but the the consensus of Rov Minyan and Rov Rov of Poskim is that there is actually a positive mitzvah, a mitzvah of Gol Hadam, for the Gol Hadam to avenge a murder and kill someone who killed a relative of his. Ad kidei kach, to the extent that the Ramban. When, when the Rambam wrote his Sefer mitzvah, the Rambam wrote his list of Tariag Mitzvot. So Ramban wrote numerous numerous glosses, numerous uh, dissent, dissents from, from what the Rambam wrote, including the, the Ramban gave a list of Mitzvot that he feels should be Mitzvot, should be included in Taryag, that the Rambam did not count. So one of them is Dol Hadam. The Ramban says that there's a Mitzvah that if someone kills. That if someone kills, and certainly if basin has Paskin, that he's chayev, there's a verdict of death against him, that it then becomes the Gol Hadam's responsibility. To pursue him, to catch him, to avenge him, he says. All that is bring him to Bastin, to literally bring him to justice. All that is is part is a mitzvah of Gol Hadam. Why doesn't the Rambam count as mitzvah? So the post can debate it. Some say the Rambam actually learned there was no mitzvah, it's only a rishus, but that's directly contradicted by Rambam's own language. I read earlier that he says mitzvah bi'ad gol hadam. So most poskim say that the, the, the standard approach to the Rambam is that he didn't count it as one of the taryag, he held it with just a detail in the broader, in the broader halacha of punishing, punishing criminals, which he does count as a mitzvah to punish the rotech. Be that as it may, the Rambam is clear, and the, 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 the overwhelming consensus of poskim is that there is a positive mitzvah of Goel Hadam to kill, to kill a Rotech. To kill a Rotech. Now, the Tzimach was writing in the 17th century. There was no Sanhedrin, there was no Beis HaMiktash, there was no Lishkes So the Tzimach Tzedek, who's going to take for granted that there is a mitzvah of Goel Hadam, obviously is assuming that this mitzvah extends B'zman even though Basin does not do capital jurisprudence anymore. The din of Goel Hadam still applies. Even though we can't get a, a proper verdict of a Sanhedrin of 23 to convict the person of murder, the Gol Hadam still applies, at least vis a vis non Jews. These points are debated. Maybe in one of our other Shurim we'll return to them. But basically, the Temach is going to assume A, that Gol Hadam is a positive mitzvah. There is a mitzvah saseh, like any other mitzvah in the Torah, whether it's counted in the Tariag or not, but there's a mitzvah saseh, a positive mandatory commandment to avenge the murder of a relative. B, he takes for granted that it applies even in the absence of any Sanhedrin the absence of any uh, the absence of any formal guilty verdict by a bastin that's uh, that's qualified to judge capital cases so that these are all the starting assumptions of the Tamach Tzedek that there is a mitzvah of Gol Hadam so now the question is All right, it's one thing the classic biblical Gol Hadam is you take a knife and you go chase the, the villain who murdered your relative and you kill him we're not talking about that here. We're talking about, uh, we're talking about the legal process, about, go- about bringing somebody to justice, paying for justice. Is that really included in Goel Hadam? So that's the first major point that the Temach tries to prove. He tries to argue that Goel Hadam is a very expansive mitzvah. It doesn't, you don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to directly do the act of blood vengeance. Bringing him to justice via the court system is also a legitimate fulfillment of the mitzvah of Gaul Hadam. In order to prove that, he brings the Gemara in Sanhedrin. The Gemara says that, first of all, if he has no relatives, it's Bastin's job to, uh, to appoint a Gaul Hadam. Somebody has to avenge the murderer, that he's, he, that the relative is supposed to take the, the lead and bring him to Bastin. If the relative if the relative can't do it, then Bastin's in charge of doing it. And then he says it's Pashut that if the Gaul Hadam... Is here and wants to do it, but he can't do it himself. He's not. He's not. He's not. He's not a, he's not a skilled assassin. He has no training in uh, in uh, the lethal arts. He says he can do it by proxy. He can find somebody else. He can hire a bounty hunter. He can hire a uh, contract killer to uh, by paying money to avenge the death. Whatever it takes. That that if it, that you can't do it yourself, get someone else to do it. He says it's like call mitzvah shabatara. We treat this, it's a little bit more of a uh, bloody context, but we treat it like every other mitzvah in the Torah. Example, a person, a father is obligated to teach his son Torah. If he can't do it, he's not, uh, he doesn't have the, the skill, the knowledge, the, the training, he's too busy. If he can't do it, what does he do? He hires, to tra- he hires someone to teach his kid. We call that tuition and sending a child to school. They used to have tutors. A person has to circumcise his son. A father has an obligation to do a birth meal on his son. Most fathers don't do birth meal on their son. Most fathers hire a out. If the father can't do birth meal, he says, so you know, ideally he can find someone to do it for free. If you can't find someone to do it for free, you pay someone to do it, he says. So every mitzvah works that way, he says. If you can't do it yourself, you pay someone else to do it, he says. I mean, not, not all mitzvahs can you do via proxy. you have to eat matzah, you can't pay someone to eat matzah for you. You can't someone to sit on the circle for you. Achorim to discuss why exactly, but certain mitzvahs he says if you can't do it yourself you're obligated to hire somebody else so too he says, the mitzvah of Gol Hadam you have to you have to uh, you have to if you can't do it yourself, you have to get someone else to do it and even if it costs money he says, you have to do it if you can find someone to do it for free, someone who enjoys killing will do it for free, that's fine but if it costs money, if you, can't someone to, if you can't find someone who'll do it without paying him, someone who's a mercenary of some sort, a contract killer, so you pay him. That, that, that's talacha. It's just like Mila, just like teaching Torah. That is what you have to do. If you, if you can't do it yourself and you can't find someone to do it for free, yes. That's a good question. Is it justice or revenge? I've been I've been deliberately uh, slipping back and forth between the use of the term justice and uh, and revenge. So you're getting into a philosophical question. Why did the Torah tell the Golem Adam to kill him? So I, I did I did mention before. On the one hand, the Torah says Kiyechem because his heart burns within him. Almost that's almost at a just a dispensation that we understand that you're uh, that you're really upset that. And the Torah understand, legitimizes what you feel the need to do. In that case, though, it's hard to see why it would be a mitzvah. But just that the Torah understands that you can control yourself, it would be more like a heter and not a mitzvah. And the truth is, there is a doctrine in the postkim. There are postkim who learn, who, who mention the, the phrase, lavavo, because your heart is hot within you, who actually justify different types of revenge even well outside the, 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 the scope of Goel Hadam. like There, there are many, many of the Ashkenazs we showed him talk about someone was slapped. You know, you, 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 you're, in, you're, in, you're in the street, someone walks over and slaps you in the face. So you wind up and you slug the guy. The question is a Yuchayev, it wasn't self-defense, he, he was already walking away. He's not going to do it again, he finished. So it's not self-defense, is there any justification for, for smacking him back, for, for punching for punching his lights out? Many posts can say yes. Many posts can say, K'yeichem lavavo. a person is not a stone, a person, is not, uh, a person is not a robot. If you get smacked and you're humiliated and hurt, then you, then you strike back. It's not a mitzvah to hit him back. It's, it's a question why it's not Losikom. It's, 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 but but uh, it's not considered prohibited by revenge. But it's a hetzer. It's a hetzer of Kiye lavavo. Here, here, as I, as I explained, here we're dealing with the, the notion that Gol Hadam is a mitzvah. It's actually a mitzvah to do it. It's one of the Tariq mitzvahs, according to the Ramban, According to the Rambam, it's not one of the Taryag, but it's a mitzvah. So it's not just a heter. It's not just that the Torah is saying, we understand that you can't control yourself. It's actually a mitzvah. You're commanded to do it, whether you want to or not. It's the, in the Temach Tzedek's case, he, he don't, I, we, don't, we don't know if the relatives wanted to do it. People wanted to force them to do it. So most posts can understand that besides some kind of dispensation, because you're, you're just burning with outrage, you also have a halachic obligation, a mitzvah, to avenge the murder, whether we call that vengeance, whether we call that justice, what the philosophy of it is, that's something that, that will leave for one of the other shiurim in the series. There are different approaches in the postkim, but the you know vengeance and vengeance and justice have a lot uh, a lot of overlap. There are all kinds of theories of punishment. Why do we punish? Is it deterrence? Is it to prevent it from happening again? Is it, uh, is, is it to make a statement about society's values? Is it uh, for some kind of cosmic notion of justice? We're, we're going to see also in, in, in another share in the series, hopefully, the notion of uh, it, brings, uh, it brings closure to the soul of the, of the victim. There can be a lot of reasons why, why the Torah wants us to do it, but, but tonight we're not focusing at this point on why the Torah told you to do it. We're just taking the halakhic notion, the Torah told you to do it. It's a mitzvah, the Torah wants, wants murder to be avenged, and, and, and the Torah specifically commands relatives to do it. And therefore the relative of the victim has a mitzvah, a binding obligation, to avenge the murder of his relative. Okay, so you, you are right that much of the discussion of Goel Hadam in the Torah and in the Gemara is dealing with manslaughter, is dealing with ritzach B'shogig. However, there are also references to Goel Hadam both in the Mikra and the Biblical text itself, as well as in the Talmud and the Postkim, which also apply the concept of Goel Hadam to ritzach There The Goel Hadam is a broad concept that has application both in the case of ritzach Bashogig, as you said, with air Miklat, with going out, with staying in, it also has application to Ritzak Bamezid. Even in the case of Ritzak Bamezid, there is a mitzvah on the, on the Gol Hadam to assist Bastin, to produce the guy, and bring it and then haul him into Bastin, to catch the guy and, and facilitate Bastin's punishment of the, of the murder, or in other words, to facilitate his death, and his, his execution or death in any way he can. As the Ramban puts it, we are commanded regarding Ratzaf that after Basin has convicted him and sentenced him to death, let's say they've convicted him in absentia, that he's not in custody yet, so it, it is the obligation incumbent upon the Gal Hadam that he has to find him, he has to track him down, he has to pursue him, and he has to then he has to uh, take revenge on him by bringing him to Basin, and Basin will kill him, or he can kill him himself if, if, if Basin can't do it for some reason. So so the, the post can understand and this is the consensus view, the dominant view that the concept of Gol Hadam applies both in the case of Shogig where er miklat is a legitimate refuge but the Gol can only get him if he leaves the er miklat, as well as in the case of Rtsef Amazid where there is no sanctuary uh, there is no sanctuary of er Miklut and then the, the, then it's the job of the Gol to get him and to kill him himself or to help Basin kill him Thank you. okay So this is the first part of the Tamach Tzedek's analysis that there's a mitzvah of Gol Hadam it's binding, it's mandatory there is a mitzvah to spend money on it if you can't do it yourself there's a mitzvah to find someone who can do it if you can't find someone to do it for free you have to pay someone to do it it's exactly like brismila Mila or Talmud Torah teaching us on Torah teach them yourself if you want do the Mila yourself if you want if you can't find someone else to do it can't find someone to do it for free pay money now he says, maybe you'll tell me that this does not apply to a non-Jewish murder. The, 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 the law of Goladam and the Torah, after all, is, is talking about a Jewish murder. Who said we can extend it to a non-Jewish murder, he says. But he says there's, there's no logical reason to distinguish, he says. He says there's no spar for such a thing. Do you really think that, a, uh, that, that, that the... The rights, of a, uh, the rights of a non-Jewish defendant in the Torah are going to be greater. He's going to have, there's going to be a higher bar to punishing him than there is for a Jew, he says. That doesn't make any sense at all. He says, of course, it's it, it just obvious, it's self-evident, he says, that the law of Gaul Hadam, if it applies to a Jewish murderer, should apply to a non-Jewish murderer as well. He brings an interesting raya from an agadah. As we've discussed in other contexts, there is a great deal of debate as to whether you can actually bring halachic arguments from passages in Talmud or Midrash, which are clearly agadic, which were never intended and meant as halachic, but he, uh, he does so. He brings a story, he brings a, he brings a midrash that says that when David sallied forth, King David sallied forth to meet Goliath, Goliath so he brought five stones. Why five? So he brings a midrash that says... Echad echad One for one is for Hashem, for Hashem's honor. One is Lashmo shal Aaron. One is for Aaron, a and one is and three are for the three patriarchs. What's the connection to Aaron? So Aaron said, "I'm the Golah Adam, I'm the Golah Dam. I should be killing Goliath. So one of those stones, one of those bullets uh, is one of those bullets is from me. Why was Aaron the Golah Dam?" So we say, he brings the Radak. The Radak says Aaron was the Gol Hadam because Goliath, the Plishtim, had killed Chapni and Pinchas, two, two sons of Eli, and they were descendants of Aaron. So we see, so Aaron was considered the Gol Hadam, so one stone was, uh, was on behalf of Aaron. So you see that the notion of Gol Hadam applies to Goliath, a, uh, a non Jewish murderer. Now you can challenge, first of all, I said this isn't Agadah you can challenge the whole thing and say, that was wartime. Does Gol Hadam really apply to, uh, uh, we don't know the Plishtim had done anything outside the laws of war. The Plishtim were, were fighting a battle against the Jews, and they killed Hufni and Penchas in, in the war. Maybe, maybe they were civilians, and they shouldn't have been killed. Anyway, he proves from this story that, the, that Gol Hadam applies to a non-Jew. Primarily, I think he thinks it's self-evident, why shouldn't it, he says, but he assumes that Gol Hadam applies to, to a non-Jewish murder. Now, who's considered a relative? How close a relative do you have to be for you to have the right and the obligation of Gol Hadam? He says, Nirad ain't over. There is no shir, there, there's no limit, he says. As long as you're the closest relative, closest, and, and by close, he says, we measure close, that uh, he says, nobody's closer than you, and you're royally you're, you're, you're the type of relative that could inherit. He says, you see that again from Aaron. Aaron was pretty far removed from uh, Pnei Eli. Aaron was centuries earlier, an ancestor of them, many generations back. He was still called the Gol Hadam, etc. And then for a, for a big chunk of this tshuva, he spends a lot of time arguing this point, arguing that the notion of relative in the context of Gol Hadam Mean, has no share that the closest relative uh, uh, as long as as long as you're the closest relative then then Down applies to you I'm not sure again, I'm not sure which relatives were being discussed in his case it sounds like he felt the need to prove that it applies to uh, somewhat uh, distant relatives relatively distant relatives it sounds like we're not talking about a son or something or he wouldn't have to spend half his chuva talking about this but that's the but that's the but that's the definition of re- that's a definition of relative. The Temachedic gives two two rules. He says, first of all, it has to be Roy yarsha; it has to be able to be Yarish. And second, he says it has to be the closest relative. The Chazanish says it a little bit differently. The Chazanish says that Roy Roy the Ram's language of Royally Yarusha, which is one of the Temachedek's primary basis for the bases for this, that the Ram uses language of Royally yarsha. So Roy in the Chazon says means even though you're not going to be Yerush because you might not be the closest relative, if you he says it refers to the it refers to the to the vav from the, the six relatives that we find in Parshas Emor, father, mother, son, daughter. Mother is not actually Yerush, he points out, but the son is Yerush's mother. That's enough. Uh, son, daughter, brother, sister, all these are considered, that's, that's what it means when it says royal yarsha so unlike the Sema who says, anyone who can be Yerush, no matter how far out, as long as you're the closest, Chazanish says really the opposite, that royal Yarsha means, you're a relatively close relative, and even if you're not the closest, even if you're not the one who's actually yarish, because there's a closer relative, he says that, uh, that that's the, That's what it means, royally, our show. And then he says, Misfar, it's like that, because, he says, is there really any connection between the obligation of blood vengeance and Yerusha, he says? What what does one have to do with the other? He says, Yerusha is just a shorthand way of saying you're a close relative. He says, going back to what Max was saying, it has to do with Chom levavo, it has to do with the heat of your heart. Again, I'm not sure he says Chom levavo. I'm not sure if he's talking about the heter of Shogig or the mitzvah of Mezid, but he says it has to do with you're being worked up, you're being... uh, you're being aroused and infuriated by the death of the, of the victim. Therefore, he says it has to be a close relative and not, uh, not someone farther away. But the Tamak says it refers to any relative, no matter how far back, no matter how far, no matter how far distant, as long as it's royal show. as long as you're the closest relative, you would have, uh, as long as you're the closest relative... You have an obligation of goel hadam. Again, I'm not sure how he understands the. I'm not sure how he understands Aaron and Chafni and Pinchas. He says, he says that uh, he says that he, he brings from Chavni to Pinchas that Aaron was rocha karbe, and still he was the goel hadam. There was nobody closer to Chavni and Pinchas than Aaron. They had no. There were no. All the other kohanim of that generation, some of them might have been farther than Aaron, but they, they had no closer relatives who were considered closer than Aaron. So, uh, not sure, but the, the, there, is a halacha, there is a halacha that Av Kodem Yotze Chalotzev, that Hilchas Yerusha. If Aaron was still alive, Aaron would be Yerush before all his other descendants. And Aaron wasn't actually alive, so I'm not sure how we look at this. In any event, I'm not exactly sure how he understands Aaron, but, but he says that the, that the definition of relative means closest relative, someone who has a Yerusha connection. It, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no absolute uh, cut-off line for relative. So any relative, as long as you can point, as long as you can point us to someone who's a closer relative than you, any relative is going to have the obligation of Gol hadam. And once again, going back to what he says a paragraph or two ago, and that obligation is even to spend money. So the original question was, can we force the relatives to spend money to bring the murderer of their relative to justice? The answer is yes, they have to spend money. Gol Hadam is a very expansive term. It expands to cover the closest relatives who have a Yerusha connection, and that means that whatever people that were were being discussed in the question, that means them. they have an obligation of Gol Hadam to to avenge their, their relative, and they have to spend money to do so. He acknowledges, he says, that when it comes to other types of obligations incumbent upon the relatives of someone who passes away, we don't have such a broad notion of relative when it comes to the obligation to bury, for example, he says. The post can indicate that it's only uh, the obligation to bury is limited to the types of relatives you have available for, the close relatives. This is different, he argues. This is different, he goes back and forth, making various arguments to this effect. And his conclusion is, his conclusion is, he says that that, uh, that when it comes to that when it comes to the obligation of vengeance, it's actually more expansive than the obligation to pay for the Kura, to arrange for the Kura, he says, that the, when it comes to g'ol Hadam, the Torah, the unique obligation that applies to the g'ol Hadam more than anybody else, he says, that Basin's going to appoint somebody. We said earlier, like Martin Edrin says, if there's no g'ol Hadam, Basin will appoint somebody. But the Iker mitzvah is on the Krovim, he says... It's not limited to those who the zechi of is for like Fur is. He says it doesn't matter as long as you're from the of of the father and there's a Yerusha connection and you're the closest relative. He repeatedly makes that makes that the, the criterion that there's no closer relative than you. You have the mitzvah to take revenge on the take revenge on the murder. So that's his conclusion. That, that, that you the you the karov the closest karov on the father's side that there is you have an obligation to avenge the murder and to spend money to do so. However, he does add a limitation. Normally, we you know when it comes to a mitzvah you have to spend a lot of money. You have to spend, uh, according to many posts, come up to a chomesh. We discussed a little while back, writing a sefer Torah posts can discuss how much money do you have to spend to fulfill the mitzvah of writing a sefer Torah. So often the post can say a chomesh or a master. Some posts can say a person has to spend a fifth of his assets or income or a tenth of his assets or income or a substantial sum. But here he says, he doesn't bring the discussion of Chomesh, but here he makes a different, takes a different approach. He says, the Chachamim didn't want to make the obligation of blood vengeance too onerous. Rather, he says, you have to pay what's considered normal and customary. Chazal wouldn't want to obligate you in in too much money, he says, because it would be too difficult. We're afraid that the relatives will, we're afraid that the relatives would abandon there uh, would abandon, would would, would uh, shuck off their duty and abandon the deceased. He brings the Gemara and Ksuvis. The Gemara says that people used to spend so much money on the funerals, a fancy takrichim, and so on, that people would just abandon the would just abandon the mace, and we say we can't afford the the the, the funeral rites and so on. They would just they would just run off. Herb and Liel decided to. Uh, to, to, to put a stop to this, and he and he, and he he accepted on himself. He was rich, but he said he would be buried in simple linen tachrichim, and everyone began to emulate him to bury Mason in simple tachrichim. That's why, as Jews, we don't do what some other cultures do and have very expensive caskets and very expensive... Funeral can be expensive as it is, but, but unlike what other cultures do, we don't spend money on polished, fancy wooden caskets, and we don't spend money on elaborate tachrichim, we we have a, a very simple tachrichim, one one standard set of tachrichim for everyone, and we have very simple, very simple unadorned wooden caskets. And that's based on this gemara, and all that is be, all that is not because not necessarily because that's the ideal way to bury a mace. The gemara implies that what other cultures do of having expensive takrichim might be a nice idea. Originally, they used to do that, covered a mace, to spend a lot of money on the on the mace. The problem was that the that people weren't uh, willing to do it. People were, uh, people, I guess, felt social pressure to do it. They, they felt they couldn't get away with making a simple funeral. Social pressure or whatever. And it was leading to, uh, it was having a, uh, an unintended consequence of causing people to completely abandon the mace and causing a tremendous design for the mace. So Chazal said, from now on, we're, we're instituting a practice of standard, basic takrichim. said that the same thing is true here. If we would start, uh, if we would start uh, obligating the relatives of the mace in huge bills in, 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 in astronomical, astronomical sums to avenge the murder, then they wouldn't do it. We're afraid they won't do it at all. So rather, for pragmatic reasons, we, we, we put a cap on how much money we force them to spend. We say, spend the amount of money that is, uh, that is reasonable. This actually is... Uh, yes, yes. So, so Max is raising the question of why do you need to spend money at all? Why, you know, in, in, in a modern functioning justice system, criminal justice uh, should not be billed to the, the family of the mace? So that's how I was going to get to. This is actually one of the more uh, cynically entertaining passages of the tshuva when he explains what kind of money does he have to spend? You know, where, would, where is this money going exactly? So he says, uh, you know, what are you doing with this money? He says... What would you have to pay all this money for? He says it would be schar u It would be for advocates, for uh, you know, for uh, for people to argue the case, and for bribes. You have to bribe, you have to grease the appropriate palms to bring this guy to justice. He repeats this a couple of times. He says later, if the if it costs that much money to get anything done, if it's going to cost in melitzos and uh, whispering in the right people's ears and shadim and bribing the right people, if that's going to rise to, uh, if those expenses will be too heavy then uh, we're not going to force them to pay that. So again, yes, I, I would certainly have to agree with Max. In a functioning society, you shouldn't have to pay off... Uh, it, you, shouldn't, you certainly shouldn't have to be paying off officials with, uh, with uh, exorbitant sums, or any sums for that matter, to get justice for a murder, yes. So I would have to agree that the Polish society, or whatever country he's talking about, was not... Uh, was not, and your ideal 21st century liberal democracy, yes, with uh, free of corruption and graft. Right, so 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 Jason wants to know, you know what aspects of due process of uh, the the strict uh, the strict criteria for testimony and for warning and so on apply to non-Jews. So the answer is that yes, that that, that is true. That, that the laws for non-Jews are very much relaxed. The the Talmud says that he's that he's nerag uh, a lot a lot easier than a non than a Jew is. I, I, I wasn't going to get into that in detail because Temach Tzedek does not uh, you know, sidesteps that whole question, as I mentioned, of evidence. He just begins by saying Yidua. We know doesn't discuss questions of evidence, doesn't discuss, and it certainly doesn't discuss questions of Hasra. So, in general, I think Jason is right that the standards would be much looser when it comes to non-Jews. Exactly what the standards would be is, uh, is, is something that that that, that 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 I'm not prepared to get into uh, right now. But but that definitely is an important point. Yes. I'm sorry, Max, and you were saying also something else? Yes, I, I agree with Max. I think that's very reasonable. That uh, today, certainly in a functioning, uh, functioning modern government, the the major expenses hopefully will not be bribes. But as Max says, the major expenses might be hiring uh, private investigators, hiring law firms to to, to do the work to, to track somebody down. You know, again, if, if the fellow you know if the fellow fled to uh, to some corrupt tin pot uh, dictatorship, and you you may have to. Uh, you may have to pay a lot of money to, uh, you know, to, 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 to grease the wheels of his extradition. Yeah, so even today, there could be... Just today, I read an article about, uh, about some, some countries that basically will sell rich people passports. You, you want to go to uh, Cyprus the, so you, you can become a Cypriot citizen or get a Cypriot passport... If you pay $2 million. They don't actually call it a bribe. They call it, uh, if you invest $2 million in our country, we'll give you a passport. I don't even know if that's corrupt. A country can, can issue passports to whoever it wants. But yeah, certainly if we're dealing with a murderer and, uh, and you want him extradited and, they, and the other country says, you give us a million bucks and we'll ship him over, yeah, I, I would have to agree that that's corrupt. But yes, yeah, so the point is, uh, Halakha may not care particularly what the money is being spent on it. The point is, it's going to cost you money for whatever reason to... Uh, it's going to cost you money for whatever reason to bring him to justice, whether it's lawyers, whether it's investigators, whether it's bribes, whatever it is. The point is, the, the fact is, the bottom line is, it's going to cost me money to get him brought to justice. And I have to do that, he says. It, it's, it, it's incumbent upon the relatives, but he says that for pragmatic reasons, we put a cap on the sum, we don't make, we don't make you, we don't obligate you in arbitrarily high sums because we're afraid that, you, that the people won't do it at all. So we allow you to uh, to pay what he, we pay what he calls the reasonable and customary rates. He calls his language is chokavua to pay the shoftim and shochron and the sardiot. You have to pay whatever is considered uh, standard standard fees to the judge and the police and to the executioner to the various people standard fees. Again, I'm, I'm assuming the standard fees weren't that high. If the standard fees themselves were very high, I'm not sure what the solution would be. But it sounds like the standard fees were reasonable. But sometimes to get things moving, you'd have to uh, pay uh, extraordinary sums that you don't have to do, he says. Again, you, have to, you have to be there, I guess, to fully understand what types of money we were talking about and what types of fees. But that's the basic principle that he says. I just want to get to the last paragraph for the tshuva. He says, what if there are these extraordinary fees? That, he says, we do not want to assess those fees to the, upon the relatives themselves. However, he says they should be paid. They should be paid by the community. Why? The community has no obligation of Gol Hadam. Gol Haddam is limited, as we said before, to the closest relatives around. So if we're not obligating them because it's too much, why should the community pay these extraordinary sums? He says, yes, they should. And the reason is, not because of the formal mitzvah of Gol Hadam, but he gives a very important reason. He says, Ligdar Pirza. He says, we have to maintain deterrence. We have to make sure that there is a cost to murdering Jews and that uh, people will think twice before doing it again. If chas v'shalem he says, we would not do this, if chas v'shalem we would not avenge murders then damon shalb b'nei bris would be hefker. It would be open season on Jews people know they can kill Jews with impunity and Jews won't do anything about it, and they'll do it again and everyone would be in danger all travelers would be in danger, because people know that they can kill Jews and get away with it therefore he says, if for whatever reason, we can't bring the murder to justice without extraordinary sums, we're not going to demand that of the relatives, but we will get together as a community and pay those sums. We'll pay whatever it takes in order to maintain this type of deterrence so, so that our enemy should know that there is a price, that Jewish blood is not hefker. There's a price for, for, uh, for shedding Jewish blood. Then he says this was actually very common, Agnu agnu pa' we This was a custom, we did this many times, and we, uh, we arranged it with uh, the leaders of the generation, the rich and the powerful. They would appoint Gollum. They would, in other words, they would hire investigators or bounty hunters to pursue murderers. Even if we, knew we, even if we know we can't do it, he says. Even if we knew that it wouldn't work. Even if we were, it was a long shot and we, we didn't think it would actually work. We did it anyway, he says. Because we want to make a statement. We want to make a sta- statement that we will not rest. We will do whatever it takes. We want this to be clear. We want to make a demonstration. We will do whatever it takes to to get you if you uh, if you shed Jewish blood, and uh, and that, that's the halacha he says, and that's necessary to that's necessary to maintain deterrence against uh, against these types of crimes against Jews. Now it's interesting. The Temach Tzedek, as I mentioned a few times in the beginning, was a 17th century guy, and he lived. He he was born around 60. He was born in 1600 and he died uh, 1661, according to Wikipedia. The, the Temach, A generation or two earlier, one of the great Polish gaonim ruled virtually exactly the same way, in a very brief psak, but ruled exactly the same thing. It, it seems the Tammach probably hadn't seen his psak, but virtually this entire, more or less, this entire Chuva, uh, very briefly... Can also be found in 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 the work of the Marash Leblin, Marash Leblin, or Shlomo of Leblin, sometimes called Marshal, sometimes confused with the better known Marshal or Shlomo Luria. The Marash Leblin was a sixteenth century was a sixteenth century sixteenth uh, century figure. He died in Shin Aleph, so he he died just about he died just about when the when the Tzedek was born. Specifically specifically the Morashleblin sorry died in fifteen ninety one. So he died about a decade before the died a decade before the the so I I was even born. But he also he also rules essentially the same way. He writes that he says very briefly, Mode. This wasn't a tshuva, this was just a, uh, a psaq he wrote, or a, something he recorded. He says, people are very particular, the community is very particular, he says that when a Jew is killed, that we attempt to take revenge, we attempt to uh, seek revenge for the murder and we spend money, he says in particular this is done by the Krovman, the Gol apparently to some extent, it was done by anyone, but it was particularly done by the Gol Hadam. So just like Tzemach Tzedek ends by saying "Kain Nahagnu harbe p'amim, he, he begins by saying this was the minhag, and this was something that was done both by the community and particularly by the Gol Hadam. So he says it's a mitzvah. He brings one of the Gemaras that that says that uh, that you know, this is Rabbi machlokas, Rabbi Yosin, Rabbi Kiva, this is what we were discussing with Max before, whether Gol Hadam is a Mitzvah or Rishus, but he says B'harig b'Mezid. Someone who kills with Mezid, then the Torah says unequivocally Gol Hadam. Who Yemisets or Even Rabbi Akiva agrees. It's a mitzvah biad Gol Hadam. Again, Ralbag says that he says Allah says. Even those who say that B'shogeg, it's only a dispensation. It's only a permission. When it comes to mazid we say it is a mitzvah, and therefore he says that's why we. Uh, that's why we go to such lengths, we, we, that's why we make sure to uh, kill the Rotech, because it's a mitzvah of Goel Hadam. He says, we, we, we try to take comma. again, he's talking about a non-Jewish murder, he says, Haideh Goyim, he says, he says at, but he says slightly differently from the Temachtedek, the Temachtedek says that the, that, the, that, the, that the technical obligation of Goel Hadam is limited to the relatives, closest relatives who are Yerish, while the obligation on the rest of Klal Yisrael is because of the need to maintain deterrence. He says, the entire Klal Yisrael is called Gol HaDam. nasu kol Yisrael kroven HaDam. This becomes somehow a national thing, the entire Jewish community, the entire society of Israel, becomes the Gol HaDam, an interesting argument, Svar HaNechonihi. So he doesn't even get into the deterrence argument, at least not explicitly, he understands that the obligation is Gol Hadam, as per the first half of the tshuva, the first three quarters of the tshuva of the Temach, of the temach Tzedek. He just goes one step further and says that the mitzvah of Goel Hadam actually extends to all of Klal Yisrael. When it comes to uh, an alien murderer, a non-Jewish murderer, all of Klal Yisrael has the status of Gol Hadam, but he also testifies this was the to do so already a half a century, a century earlier than the Temach where We were already told that this was a Minhag, this was a minhag to do this, and the Samach says that the technical obligation of Gol Hadam is specific to the relatives. The rest of Kla Yisrael does so because of uh, deterrence. The Marashmi Leblin says that the obligation of Gol Hadam in the case of a non Jewish murder expands and extends to all of Klal Yisrael. Just want to close briefly with uh, one other perspective on the latter, the latter concern of the Samach the concern of deterrence. We find this here and there in different chuvas of the Akronim. One, uh, one other invocation of this is in the Diver Malkiel. Diver Malkiel is a late, much later chuva, about a century ago. Diver Malkiel was, was talking about, uh, this is a chuva also hopefully we'll return to in a future share. Diver Malkiel was talking about somebody was murdered, dead, buried. And we think we know who did it, a certain non-Jew. We think we know who killed him. The issue here was not with spending money. The issue here was not money. We're already living, perhaps, in enlightened times. It doesn't cost money to, uh, to get a murder, murder prosecuted. But the issue here was, all we want to do is simply file a criminal complaint with the government, with the court. So what's the issue? Why shouldn't we do that? The issue is, he says, that will trigger an exhumation of the remains and basically an autopsy. That we have no we have no control over that. If we open the case, if we uh, if we if we petition the court for justice, we can't say. But don't do an autopsy. Well, when, once we ask for well, once we open the case, there's going to be an exhumation and an autopsy. mace? we don't normally do autopsies. Is that something? So we're not even doing the autopsy directly here. But we're being government. by 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 filing this complaint. We're going to trigger an exhumation and an autopsy. So. The Temaqtet, the Devin kiel makes various arguments for why we can and should do this anyway. We can and should file this complaint and attempt to bring the murder to justice, even if that will result in an autopsy. One of his arguments is the identical argument, the final argument of the Temaqtet. He says, if we don't do this, if we simply turn the other cheek and ignore the murder, he says, then again, the blood of Jews will be hafker. People will say, "There's no cost. There's no price to pay for killing Jews. They're not going to do anything about it." He brings various riots from Gemaras that we care about such things that, that, that we have to take into account as a matter of policy what the outcome will be. He brings uh, he brings an example of shvuyim. It says that we don't uh, we, we don't negotiate with uh, with with uh, kidnappers to pay them exorbitant ransoms because it'll cause them to. Uh, It'll cause them to kidnap more people. We don't, uh, we, don't help, we, don't, we don't even help captives escape, the Gemara says, because we're afraid that they'll mistreat uh, future captives and so on. So even though being, being in captivity is dangerous, but because of policy reasons, because of these reasons about what we have to be, we have to anticipate that even if in the short term we, we gain some benefit, we free a captive, but in the long term it'll make things worse. So he says, you see that, uh, that, that, that Halakha requires us to take into account these considerations of policy beyond, we've discussed this recently, the question of policy as opposed to technical Halakha. Here's a case where the Halakha explicitly requires us to take into account policy, Medina Yut, and so on and so on, he says. He says, the Iker is that, the, that we have to take this into account, and therefore, and therefore here too, he says, if we, have to, we have to swallow the short-term the short-term, unfortunate fact of there being an autopsy, for the long-term benefit of reducing, reducing aggression, reducing murder against Jews in the future. Even though here it's Pekun he says, here we're actually Pekun we're filing a complaint that will trigger an autopsy, it's grama, but we're doing it Pekun Nevertheless, he says, it's worth it, it's a price that we're willing to pay. If that's the price of deterring future murder of Jews, it's a price we're willing to pay, and that's his maskana, he says mitzvah again the tshuva is a longer tshuva hopefully we'll return to it at a in a future share, but because of this and other reasons he says it is clear he says he's unequivocal it is a mitzvah upon the Gol Hadam to do whatever it takes to 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 bring the fellow to justice to file the complaint in order at, at least in part in order to maintain deterrence even if that means they can do an autopsy for the same reason mentioned by the Temaktedek because. There is a, uh, it's a paramount concern to, that, that our enemies, that would-be murderers of Jews should know that there is a price uh, for Jewish blood. Jewish blood is not Hefker.